Good morning. It is a pleasure to be able to be here with you this morning. It is a blessing and a privilege to be able to come, to be able to bring the Word of God to you. I want to open with a quote. There's a quote I want to give you. It says, Christians are to be set apart from the world. We are to be fully engaged in culture, yet not celebrating or endorsing its ideals. Rather, we are to shine as beacons in the night, faithful cities on the hill, in a world, in the world, but not of the world, and shining like stars amongst a crooked and perverse generation. As I said, it is a blessing to be here today and to be able to bring the treasures of the Word of God to you today. With this, we will be covering some important truths in these passages in light of culture and where we stand as believers in light of the gospel and in light of where we stand. So with that being said, let us pray that our hearts would be open to what the Lord has to say through his Holy Spirit and through his word today. We will be in Titus. Titus chapter 2 is where we will be located in the word today. So if you will turn there with me, I will pray over the passage that the Lord would lead this time as we go through. I'll give you a second. If you will join with me in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the blessing, Lord, to be able to be here and to be able to, Father, preach the truth of the gospel. Father, be able to preach the truth of what your word says, Lord, the privilege that it is to be able to, Father, carry this message. I pray you would bless those who are here. You would bless the hearers of your word, Father. I pray that you would, Lord, saturate our hearts and our mind with your scriptures, and I pray that we would be changed, Father. I pray that we would be spurred to action through what your word says. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, in our lives. And I thank you for all that you are doing. For you never rest. You are always actively at work. I thank you for this, Lord. And I thank you for being such a faithful God and such a grateful Lord and leading King. I pray that you would continue to minister through us and that you would bless this time. I pray you would bind away any demonic force that would, Lord, seek to distract or to hinder your work. And I pray that your will would be done. I pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, Abba. Amen. Amen. With this, with this passage in Titus, this is a, a blessing of a passage to be able to go through. I want to set up a little bit of context to this so that we have some understanding to be able to get where Paul is coming from when he wrote this epistle and he charged it to Titus. And so for order, in order for us to understand and to be able to grasp at the heart of what Paul is writing this epistle to Titus 4, we must come to understand the context under which it was written. Paul addressed this letter to a young believer by the name of Titus, of whom the book is named after. Titus was a Greek Christian, and he was a trusted co-worker of Paul on Paul's journeys. And so Titus was sent by Paul to the island of Crete. Crete is just off the coast of Greece and was an interesting culture and nation, to say the least. Tall Excuse me, Paul had sent Titus to restore order to a network of established house churches. There was many house churches that had began to be developed that were planted all across Crete, but there was a problem that was beginning to uh, crop up with this. And so now what you must understand is that Crete culture was notorious in the ancient world. They were notoriously known for many different negative reasons. The Crete culture was known for being exceedingly corrupt and immoral, filled with all sorts of immoralities such as corrupt leaders 
and corrupt sexual acts. The ancient historian Polybius wrote, It is almost impossible to find personal conduct for treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. This is from a historian at the time. These were some rough folks. These people were not okay. The Cretan people even considered highway robbery an honorable act on the road. These were rough, rough folks. And so you could see they were in dire need of the gospel and of the changing message of Christ in the world. In fact, one of the Greek words for a liar was kretizo, which literally meant to be a liar was to be a Cretan. They were synonymous with each other. They were people notorious for treachery and violence. And with many of the citizens of Crete even serving as mercenaries for hire. That's what a lot of the Christians were known for was being hired sellswords in a lot of the area. But case to the point, they were rough and bad folks. But still the gospel managed to be established even in such a dark culture and despite the difficulty. The message of Christ broke through and churches were planted. But there was a problem arising as a result of selfish, corrupt leaders beginning to infect these churches with false doctrines and legalistic laws out of want of selfish gain. And so Paul wrote this letter to address these things, and thus Paul sent Titus for damage control. He sent Titus for not only damage control, but to help mend the situation through the Spirit and through his aid, and with this letter serving as instructions. And so with this, we will pick up in the passage, and we will be tackling, and in this we will be chapter 2. We are in Titus chapter 2, and so if you will join with me in the reading of the Word of God, the title of this message is Life and Light of His Coming. And so with this first point, we will see that there is sound teaching that was given. Paul gave these people a set of instructions on how they are to live in light of Christ's return and the hope that we are to have. And so if you will join with me in the reading of the Word of God in verse 1. But you must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible and sound and faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will not be ashamed, having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior and everything. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession eager to do good works. What a blessed passage. 
What a blessed scripture that has been given to us. And so if you will join with me, we will begin to dissect these passages and look into them. One of the many points that Paul wants to drive home with Titus to the Cretan people is how the new house under Christ should operate. How this new house was to operate, and especially in light of the gospel. How the family structure should look like. How the relationship with believers was to look in light of not only the gospel, but how to reflect Christ in a culture that was so dark and depraved. The believers of Crete were to be completely different from the culture that they were a part of. They were to be set apart. They were to be counter to how any particular individual of the Cretan cultural system operated. And so with this, Paul encouraged in verses 2 and 3, older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good. The older men were to stand firm in faith, to stand boldly for their faith. They were to stand firm on love and loving others, their families, and those who are lost well, and to stand firm in endurance. They are to walk in truth that is pressing forward despite their weariness. They were to reject violence and rage, which was counter to the Christian people. The Christian people were violent by nature. And so the men of God who were believers in this culture were to be counter to such a thing. They were to be different. They were to be set apart and yet still wholly engaged with them. And yet in the same way, the Christian women were to be self-controlled and respectable, being able to teach what was good in order to glorify God and in order to encourage the younger women and how to live in godliness as well. What these passages will begin to show us and teach us is teaching principles, how it is the, Paul was instructing the Christian people through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, how they could walk with God, how they could engage in culture and not be stained by culture, how it is that they could stand firm and fast, how it is that they could be set apart and yet not completely withdraw themselves to where they were reclusive, leaving no impact on the area. And so with this, Paul really set a standard. Both the older men and older women were to serve as models of character, teaching integrity and honor to the young people. They were given this opportunity to serve as these models in society and to be able to engage in public square and to be able to engage with the younger culture, being able to serve examples and walk the life that they did before. Thinking back, you know, even in your life, you know, to those who have been role models in your life, think back to someone in your life who served as a mentor, maybe a teacher, maybe a parent or a grandparent, someone who was older who walked the path of life before you and took you under, your, under their wing, teaching you the ways of the word. What a blessing this is. And this is exactly what Paul was wanting to instruct the older men and women to have was to be mentors and be faithful examples, that they would be set apart, living for our Lord and love with Jesus, serving as examples to live by. And this was a blessing. In the same way, the young women were instructed shouldn't be sleeping around and rejected marriages so popular as was so popular in Christian culture. Christian culture reflected a lot of our current culture today. Marriage is not held in a very sacred light. Marriage was not held in a very special position. And so 
there was this very big instruction of do what thou wilt even in the day such as that. But rather we are encouraged today and especially young women today that they should be pure, finding suitable faithful partners in order to raise up godly and healthy families. It says in verse 4 through 5, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure homemakers, kind and submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. We are given this beautiful opportunity and Paul was instructing the Christian believers on how to live in conduct, whether it been the older generations, the older elders, whether it been the younger women. And he also moves on to instruct the younger men. He says in verse 6 and 7, in the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. He then instructs Titus, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. I find it funny that the only instruction that's given to young men is just control yourselves. <laughs> if you could just control yourselves and stop being weird for like 10 minutes, you'll be all right. You will be okay. Just control yourselves in everything. The young men as well were to walk in this self-control and everything, learning how to be faithful leaders, serving with dignity and shining as examples of good works as Paul encouraged Titus. Titus was in the same position, was to walk self-controlled and walk with dignity and with honor. And so now we move to the last of those that he addressed and instructed. And if you'll join me in verses 9 and 10 where he says, Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing. Not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness that they may adorn the teachings of God our Savior in everything. See, slaves were in a unique position. Slaves were in a unique position in Christian culture for as a result of the gospel, they were considered equal with their masters. They were in equal standing. Why? Because all men are equal at the cross. Our men are equal at the cross as a result of sin in their hearts and the same redemption is offered to all. And so slaves were equal to their masters, but there was a fine line because slaves could be tempted after learning of their equality to be part of slave rebellions and rise up with violent behavior, thus matching the culture that they were a part of. Paul warned against this sort of behavior by stating that slaves should be submissive to their masters. Why? Not because Paul was endorsing slavery, but because slavery worked much differently in antiquity than it is than how we know it. Slavery worked differently in a lot of ways, but rather slaves should be demonstrating utter faithfulness in order to adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. The reason this matters is I want to bring to light a Greek word. I'm going to Blue Mountain, and I'm pursuing my uh, undergrad in biblical studies, and as I go through and I learn the Greek language as one of my classes, I want to be able to bring out and highlight the beauties of what Paul illustrated with the Greek language. I don't make it well aware. I'm not going through these things. I'm not here to impress you. What I want to do is I want to show you the beauties and the truth of the passages of Scripture that encourage me. And so I pray that they will bless your heart as much as they have blessed mine with reading this. And so with this, the word adorn here that is used 
in verse 10 when Paul says that slaves are to demonstrate utter faithfulness that they may adorn the teaching of our God and Savior in everything. That word that is used is the word cosmeo in Greek, which means to beautify or to make compellingly attractive or very appealing. It is the same root of where we get our English word cosmetics. Cosmetics. So when he is instructing the slaves to be able to uh, submit in obedience and to demonstrate utter faithfulness, he is encouraging them to adorn. They are to beautify themselves with the message of Christ. And with this, so that is to say that slaves, when they choose to be obedient and submissive, despite maybe unfair ruling by their masters, despite this or despite choosing to deny themselves out of response to the gospel and what they may long for, they are showing the power of Christ. Even more so, they are adorning the beauties of his mercies, donning the riches of his faithfulness and applying the balms of his grace in order to show and to make Christ known. This is the power of the gospel. All of these principles, all of these sound instructions to the older men and women, to the younger men and women, and to slaves, all of these instructions on how to live a godly life in spite of how culture might be operating, teach us how to integrate and be a part of society, and yet how we may live different from the culture at the same time. And with this, Paul leads us to a set of verses that shows us how we are able to do this. And so if you'll join with me in reading through verses 11 through 14, this is really the crux, the crescendo, and the buildup of what Paul is trying to hammer home is in these set of verses. And so if you'll join with me, my second point is the grace of God. If you are taking notes today, it says this in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Let's break that down a little bit. Let's dive and let's see Paul is trying to bring out to the people to see for the grace of God in verse 11 has appeared with salvation for all people. We must come to understand the richness of this understanding. The grace of God has appeared with grace to all people. This means that none are barred from coming to the foot of the cross. None are barred from coming. All have been given the opportunity in Christ. All have been given this opportunity for freedom. The intricacy of the gospel, the offer that is given is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Paul extends this and reminds the Christian believers that grace has been given that all may have an opportunity, even the Christian people, even a people who are so depraved, so down and are filled of such corruption, and even the believers who are stumbled and who have slipped into such darkness themselves are given a light and given a hope through the, through the gospel of Christ Jesus. Because of his shed blood, we have hope and redemption from ourselves and from our destiny toward hell. That offer is given to all who would humble themselves and who would cry out to God. 
Not all will take it, but by God's grace and sovereignty, some will. The gospel is everything. And it was everything, and it was the lifeblood and the core to Christian believers to be different, to be set apart, to be changed, but to be able to share the beauties and the message of that truth. Paul echoes this depth by stating, in the hope of eternal life, that God who cannot lie promised before time began. The beauty of this. He mentions this in the very first chapter of Titus, verses chapter 1 and verse 2. This gospel is the hope that drives us forward. It is the same gospel that drove the Christian believers forward in spite of their culture, in spite of the wear down. This gospel is the hope that drives us. It is the hope that changes us, and it is the hope that causes us to shine in spite of the darkness our culture has. For just what is the gospel? It is the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. His birth is foretold in passages like Isaiah, and it was prophesied that a Messiah would come to us. He would be born of a virgin. He would live a pure and spotless life. He would live his life free of sin, living the life that we could not live. He lived his life teaching, ministering to us, sharing and having compassion on people and having compassion on his creation. Christ came on our behalf and lived in our place, living the life that we could not live. Even more so, coming to the edge of himself, to the end of a cross, willingly giving up his life on our behalf that we would have life and life more abundant, that we would live and we would have hope. And this was the same hope that was offered to the Christian people, that we would be different. But not only the story does not end at Christ's death, he died on our behalf, dying, laying down his life on behalf of those sacrificing his life for his enemies, for us, redeeming us from ourselves. He laid down his life, but that was not the end. He took his life back up again, and he was raised back to life, and so Christ lives today. We are given a hope, a life, and an opportunity because Christ, our Savior, reigns on his throne and has not abandoned us. Christ has ascended, but we are not left as orphans. We are not left as helpless children without hope, but we are given hope and an opportunity in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, For I have passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so, because of these things, we are encouraged to live in the new life. Verse 11 to 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness Godlessness, excuse me, and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So ultimately, we see this new way of life established. But we must come to fully understand that the Christian's new way of life is based on God's generous grace. Because of God's gracious example of how Christ submitting himself to be shamefully and publicly humiliated on a cross on behalf of his enemies. We are empowered with how we should live as a result. 
we have this. Through the aid and conviction of the Holy Spirit, we walk in righteousness in order to grow in our sanctification and glorify God. These instructions were given. Paul gave these instructions to the Christian people on how to live new in light of Christ's sacrifice for our lives and in light of Christ's renewal. He gave these things in teaching us that the grace of God alone is how we are able to do these things. It is how we are able to live a new life. How is it that we are able to engage in a culture so dark even to today, with so many dark aspects that America has come to and begins to practice and to celebrate, how can we engage and be a part of culture and yet be different? How can we engage in culture and share and live life? How can we do life with people who live so corrupt and arrogantly by the grace of God that was shown to us? Christ did it. Christ lived with us. We were miserable people. We could be some bad folks. The sin in our life depraves us to such a point. But the grace of God had mercy on us. He gave us mercy as he showed mercy on behalf of the Christian people. Churches were established in Crete. And the message in the gospel was given to show the Christian people they are not abandoned by God. Despite the sin in their life, despite the atrocity that they practiced, their master, their creator did not forget them but instead gave them opportunity. And so who are we? Who are we reflect the same? I know that culture takes a dark turn and begins to deteriorate, and it's hard doing life with people who are sold out to sin. But our king didn't forget us, and he hasn't forgotten them. So why should we? Why do we forget the people that are around us? Why do we forget the culture that we are a part of? We are to live engaged with them, growing in grace and in the knowledge of the scriptures. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Instructions and passages of scripture like this right here are for our benefit, that we may be complete lacking nothing, having all that we need to be able to engage in culture and to be able to share the message of Christ. But why do we do these things? Why does it matter? Verse 13 has that answer, if you'll join with me. Verse 13 says, While we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we do these things. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you if that's all right. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing evil and hurt. I'm just 22, you know, Lord willing, I have more life ahead of me if the Lord wills it, but I'm tired already. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to see and to comprehend eyes of, excuse me, I'm ready to see fields that are greener than the eye can comprehend. I'm worthy to, I am longing to run down the streets of gold that glitter from the light of the presence of our King. But ultimately, I'm ready to fall at the feet of my Savior and thank Him personally for what He's done for me in my life and for what, (laughs) frankly, putting up with me in my life. 
I think many of us here would reflect that sentiment. I think many of us are ready to go home. But we tire of the evils of this world and we're ready for Jesus to return. But my dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that while we wait, we must make the most of the time that we have. We're not to sit on our hands and to be passive, but rather there are people whose lives depend on us taking action. There are people whose lives depend on us that depend on seeing and hearing the gospel from us in our lives. We are encouraged and empowered to live godly lives while we wait for his return. We wait for him. However, we do not wait passively. That word that is spoken here, instructing us to deny godlessness. Excuse me. Down to verse 13. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope. I want to bring out another Greek word there. That word is prosdecamai. And what that means is it carries with it the indication of expectantly waiting. Expectantly waiting. So what Paul is saying is while you expectantly wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are to be active. We do not wait on hope like the rest of the world without waits. Excuse me, we do not wait on hope like the rest of the world does. The rest of the world has such shallow hope in things. They hope for a proper medical diagnosis. They hope for just another day. They hope from paycheck paycheck to paycheck. They hope for all of these fleshly things. And yet, we have hope that lasts. We have hope that is deep. And we have hope that is returning to us one day. We have hope that is coming back. There are so many religions around the world where their entire system is built on how they can work their way to God and become complete. However, Christianity is the only one where when it came to that unscalable mountain, rather than us trying to climb our way to God because or perfection, which we can't do, he climbed down to us. He climbed down to us. That's what makes the gospel special. That is the hope that we have. God did not abandon us the first time. That glorious appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. Past tense. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. Jesus came. He appeared. But he not only appeared once, but he will be appearing again. He is coming back for us time is nigh this is what makes us able to stand on the truth in culture because culture has all of these religions and these beliefs they desperately cling to and even ideas we may fall short in but alas it is a ship that is going down but we have the lifeboat that is the testimony of christ So we're to live out that testimony in light of culture in order for Christ's message to be made known. We are to also cosmeo. We are to beautify. We are to adorn ourselves, not for show that we would build up our own pride and that we would justify ourselves with our own works, but we would adorn ourselves with the message of Christ denying ourselves, that the world would look to us and to see the beauties of the richness of of Christ's mercy and grace, that we would reflect Christ's light and what he has done for us and our lives. And so winding down and finish up 
in verse 14. I want to be able to bring to truth two ideas. It says in verse 14, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. I want to bring to, I want to, bring to your attention two final Greek words, and that is these. The first being periousios, and the second being zeloites. The first of these reflects all the more the hope that we have with Christ returning to us. That first, that periousios right there where it says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. That word possession there is periousios, which means specially chosen. Specially chosen. This describes believers because they, are, they belong to the Lord as his prized treasure. We belong to the Lord as his prized treasure. We are specially chosen by God and therefore have hope that he will not abandon us. It stands to reason logically if we are specially chosen in God that he will not leave us be. That he will not abandon his people. So with this, let us make the most of time that we have left with unbelievers. Let us make the most of the time that we have with the influence of those that we have in our lives. He chose us to have and possess an eagerness to do good works. For the scriptures say, eager to do good works. That word that is used there is zeloites, which is where we get our word zealot or to be zealous. And so with that, which means a person with zealous enthusiasm, somebody who literally boils over with passion, boils over with passion. When was the last time that you shared your faith? Pointy question. When was the last time that you stand firm and trusted in God in a difficult storm? When was the last time that you shone as an example in light of coworkers, family, friends, the reason I ask this is because when was the last time you were passionate about doing so? When was the last time you were excited about doing so? We as believers have been gifted the blessing, the opportunity, and the spiritual gift of being excited and filled with passion for the things of God. We as believers are spurred up with passion to do the works of God and to be able to engage in the public square of culture and yet live completely counter to them at the same time. We are a walking paradox. We are engaged living alongside, redeeming the better qualities of culture and yet denying the negative aspects of it at the same time. This is exactly what Paul was instructing Titus and to the Christian people. And that same instruction goes to us. But the beauty of these works in our lives is this. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We were called to salvation brothers and sisters, not to be passive. We were called not to sit in our hands and merely bide our time, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for Jesus to come back. We are instructed, make the most of the time you have before it's gone. 
Because when Christ returns, I want you to know there's no second chances with that. When we stand before the throne of God, when we answer for how we lived our life accordingly, and when unbelievers stand in judgment before God, that's it. There is no second chances at that point. Judgment will be issued, and so make the most of the time with the people that you have in your life. Leave an impact. Be different. Your name doesn't have to be remembered. In fact, I'd say it'd be better for all of us that we would die be forgotten. There's a quote from a pastor whose name I'm forgetting, but he said, live, preach Christ, die, be forgotten. <laughs> preach the gospel of Christ. We don't live to make our name known. When we engage in culture, we live to make Christ known. That is our goal, and that is our gospel. I want to finish with a quote. I want to wrap up with a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He had this to say, Our good works, if we have any, spring from a real conversion. Yet more, they also spring from a constant spiritual influence exercised on us from the time of conversion even until the hour of death. We would have no good works if we had no fresh influence day by day. We would not find the grace given us at our first hour sufficient to produce fruit today. It is not like the planting of a tree in our hearts, which naturally of itself bring forth fruits. The sap has to come from the root, Christ Jesus. We are not trees by ourselves, but we are the branches attached to a living vine, to the living vine. Good works are the gifts of God, his choice pearls, which he sent down with his grace. What a blessing. What an opportunity we as believers have been given. There was nothing sacred or special about us when Christ saved us. The only thing that was special and sacred was his love to begin with for us. Redeeming us in order for us to walk in the good works that he prepared ahead of time. And so I encourage you and I instruct you, walk in these. Walk in the word, walk in obedience with the scriptures and with what Christ says. I have three points of application and finish with these. The first is that we are to humbly submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to serve as good role models and bearers of the truth. These are verses 1 through 10 that teach these things. Number two is that we are to not wait passively, but rather wait in expectancy serving God and making Christ known with the time that we have left. 11, verses 11 through 13 teaches us these things. And the final point of application is that we are to trust in the redeeming and cleansing power of Christ, trusting that he will return for his people one day, that he will return for us. But until then, he has also empowered us, commanded us, and instructed us to be able to walk in the works he has prepared. And that is in accordance with verse 14. And so, church, I encourage you these things. Walk with God. Enjoy your relationship with Christ. Walk in love with him. Love the word. Love the things of the word. Be faithful. Make the most of the time that you have left with unbelievers. If you'll join with me in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what a blessing it is to be able to walk Father, through the scriptures, I thank you for what a blessing it is to be able to walk in your word, to be able to be instructed how we could serve, Lord, as lights in a dark culture. 
I pray that we would walk in such a way as to honor you and to glorify your name. And I pray, Father, that your will would be done. I pray that our hearts would respond, Father. Lord, should we respond, that we would pray and we would lift up Christ to you, Father, and that you would work in our souls. I thank you for your precious grace. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.